Welcome to our next episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the Five Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them, and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology. Okay, friends, welcome back to another Performance Matters podcast. Bob Mosier here, one of your guest hosts throughout the series. We're so glad that you're joining us yet again. We hope you're finding these of value as you've done all along. By all means, feedback on this and others would be wonderful. We try to make these podcasts helpful in any questions around workflow learning, five moments of need that we can address. We'll get special guests and speak to topics like we're doing today with our wonderful guest that I'm honored to join us. Uh, aligning with the business, big deal and a remarkable business person in himself. Dear colleague and friend, Einar, we're uh, glad you're joining us. Welcome. You want to give a little bit of your background and what's gotten you here, and we'll get into the into this really important topic. Absolutely, Bob. Thank you for having me on today. Love to be here with you and, and talking about a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I actually, I started in L&D early in my career. That was that was my initial start back with an old company called the Word Perfect Corporation. Some of the old timers might actually remember that one, but ultimately went from there into their marketing department and ended up being a director of one of their business lines. So I, I shifted early on in my career from L&D and went into business management, which uh, has occupied the majority of my career until now. Hooked up with Apply Synergies and with Bob and Con four years ago. It's been a wonderful journey getting back into the L&D world again, this time as, as sort of business management in the L&D world, but love the topic that we're going to be talking about today relative to that. And the perfect guest in our lines of business, we, oh my gosh, L&D, God bless us. I mean, I mean we're, we're, we're a wonderful group. We Many of us have remarkable pedigree. Some come from business, but a vast number of us don't. We have all the ins and outs, all the language, all the jargon of good things like Addy and other, but I always struggle, myself included, with that idea of business acumen and speaking the language of the business. Now, I will say five moments and workflow learning has pulled me into this kicking and screaming 10 years ago, but really helped me understand and get better at this conversation. And I'd love to do that today. So let's start with a really powerful quote. I'm going to read it literally because I think this is just some remarkable data. 53% of L&D pros agree that L&D has, has a seat at the executive table, 53%, which is compared to 24% in 2020. Why do you think the jump? And more importantly, can we sustain it? Is it a one-hit wonder? Or why do you think we're sitting where we are today? Well, first of all, I think it's ours to lose, uh, frankly. If we're <laughs> at the that. seat, <laughs> we're, we're there and let's keep it. So, uh, you know, why we're there, I think it's partially because of all the change that we've seen over the last three years, starting with COVID. Mm -hmm. I mean, what an, an amazing event that we had. Change everybody's life overnight. Mm -hmm. The world shut down. Think about this, Bob. When we were youngsters, we couldn't have done anything virtually. No. But all of a sudden, we had this virtual world and we could connect every everywhere from education to teachers in the K through 12 to university professors to L&D teams all of a sudden stepped up to the bat in an absolutely remarkable way and proved their worth to the entire world and so i think that's one of the factors the other factor that really we can't overlook is just the shift in employee requirements so over the past 3 years employees have indicated that learning opportunities is a number one requirement for accepting a new job or staying with an employer because frankly workers are just afraid of becoming obsolete 
The amount of change that we are facing in every industry every day is such that pay has now become the number two consideration for accepting or keeping a job because everybody's feeling so much pressure in the speed of change. And learning is by its very definition on the front line of resolving that issue. Mm. So look, my question with ADNR is around key business drivers, right? And obviously those are, from the employee's perspective, those are massive. And in some ways, frankly, a huge shift. I remember being told, you know, your kid's going to change jobs seven times, right? That's just how we do it. They're so marketable. They're so, right, the whole deal. And then to your point, what a pivot to this difference uh, in feeling about, in some ways, some insecurity around people's marketability and and their ability to sustain and hold a job. And you're right. I I, I remember talking with Scott, who, who who has also been a part of our other group and been on this call before from United Health. He said that he had tried for two years to get a virtual technology in his company, two years. <laughs> and it couldn't yep. get it past IT, let alone to anyone who cared. And then all of a sudden, COVID hit and his CEO called him, not just anybody, the CEO of the company called him and said, so what are we going to do? And had stood up and was using virtual stuff in a month. Right. Yep. So, I mean, so yep. what, so what a remarkable pivot and, and momentum to ride. So, so what are these key business drivers, you know, that you think we need to be better at, understand, ask questions more about, turn our focus to in our work? What would your advice to folks listening be? Well, you know, it's, it's very simple. And kind of tricky all at once uh, because at the end of the life, you know, business drivers are, are actually quite simple. They're all about making the business better. Mm. At the end of the day, you're delivering on key priorities such as business growth, profitability, client success, adjusting to market changes, developing for the future, you know, social engagement, all those things that are important to a business to maintain and grow and succeed. So those are are really the primary underlying drivers of everything that we do in business. But it's easy for us to get myopic and focus on our focus areas. And what I mean by that is sometimes we think that learning, for example, in and of itself is a business driver. Well, it's not, obviously, when we think (laughs) about it. Learning in and of itself is not the driver. It's what it can accomplish by the way of performance and productivity and that type of thing. So, you know, as we get myopic and step back in our positions, we tend to look away a little bit from that underlying priority, which is really quite simple. How do we make the business succeed? So why do you think L&D has been, this has eluded us so terribly? I mean, I, I heard ROI in the first week of my employment and I'm at, and this is my 40th year at it, right? But but at the same time, you know, Kirkpatrick came along and Phillips added his fifth layer and, and that kind of gave us a, a framework. But like five moments, frankly, a framework in and of itself doesn't get you there. You know, we promote the methodology of Enable to help us do five moments. This do ROI has eluded us. We we yep. get the stages, we get the five steps. That ain't doing it, right? <laughs> why do you think L and D has? Why do you think these business drivers have eluded us? And, and in many ways, frankly, it's almost like we're afraid of them. We kind of whisper about ROI. We don't run at it. Why do you think that is? Well, we've we've been order takers for so long. You mentioned this in a lot of your presentations as well. You know, when you're an order taker where somebody's telling you, give me a course on X, we've been conditioned to accepting our role sort of as being one in the background. Mm. Impact to our industry has meant delivering a good course Mm. or a relevant course, not necessarily focusing on improving performance or recognizing our impact on the business, that type of thing. 
So I think as we've been kind of ignored, we're a little bit resentful of that. So when we get to the table, all of a sudden what we want is to be understood. And I've sat in groups of L&D professionals where they've expressed that, where I've said, okay, let's talk about the business. Let's talk about how we communicate with the business line. And immediately where they go is sort of starting to have this conversation of, oh, we need to let the business line know what we can do. We need to let them know what the possibilities are. Uh, well, I'm going back to Stephen Covey's seven habits and saying, you know, seek first to understand and then to be understood. Absolutely, we need to be able to go in and be a part of that strategic conversation and allow for the business line to see possibilities beyond giving you a course on whatever. But at the same time, we've been so conditioned to being those order takers that, that taking on that role of stepping back and understanding, first of all, what we're trying to accomplish is is difficult. It's a, it's a difficult mind shift, but we got to step out of our comfort zone a little bit and engage on a strategic level to get there. Let me go a little deeper, Einar, if you don't mind, a little off script here, frankly, about, yeah. I love, I'd love you taking this because I hear this one all the time. I try to do that, and the line and the line of business doesn't know what they need. Do you believe that? I mean, most lines of business folks I know who are still employed and are worth their salt are highly attuned to the business and needs, and more importantly, shortfalls and what keeps them up at night. But I hear Alan Default back in this a lot that I can't, can't get them to tell me what these things are. In fact, they stare back at me with a blank stare. Is that just bad questions or vocabulary, or is it true? I mean, what's, what's your take on, you You ran a business, you ran a very important line of business. Where do you think that's coming from? Well, we, we don't speak each other's language very well. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, if, if we're thinking about how are we going to educate a group of people, you know, we're coming at a problem very differently from somebody who's trying to, like I said, make the business better. They have a big priority, an underlying objective that they're trying to accomplish. And so I think it's really incumbent upon us as we come to the table to start speaking their language a little bit, frankly, because expecting them to really come to sort of that tactical level on our end and really understand mm. what we can do, that's really not going to happen. They're going to be focused on their priorities and building a successful business, keeping to those key objectives and the KPIs and everything else that they're focused on. So expecting them to come over to our side of the table and understand that's probably not going to happen, unfortunately. But I do think that they will recognize good strategy when they see it. If they mm -hmm. see something that's different and that has a better chance for improving performance, absolutely, they're going to get it and they're going to engage with us on that level and come to our side of the table a little bit. Excellent. So we're trying to become a partner is where we're going here, right? That's as right, opposed absolutely, to, yeah. As opposed to this wing of the building where training gets done or way downstream when they've got everything wrapped and they go, oh yeah, we should probably have training on this. Let's go talk to the L&D department. To your order taker point, that's not partnership. That's, nope. <laughs> that's a dictatorship. <laughs> that's really kind of what it is. So you've worn the hat of a business partner, right? Both within yep. your the organization you were a part of and the partners you had that you had to support. School us up on this. What does a partner look like in this regard? How do we change the vocabulary, the view of ourselves, be seen more like that? What would your advice be in building partnerships? Well, first of all, you have to respect everybody at the table. Go in with an open mind of what their strengths are and understanding what strengths you bring to the table. So respect yourself as well as you're mm -hmm. going to that table. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, you belong there. 
I think that's what we really have to internalize. We belong at this table. We should be there every single time as we're talking strategically on how do we build and develop the business. But being willing now to engage on a strategic level, which starts with understanding and internalizing the objective. And if you don't understand the objective, it's okay to ask the questions. Being a passive observer, that doesn't help anybody. So if you don't understand be willing to step up and 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 ask the right questions. Don't be intimidated by it because frankly that people respect that. They want to have you ask the questions and they understand that you don't necessarily get it right off the bat when you come mm -hmm. into the table. And then lastly, I'd say partly this is a problem throughout the industry. We don't take a long-term view of success very much, especially because we are order takers and because we think of things in terms of courses and then we're done. You know, so we see our part of the game as being one little, you know, moment in time instead of taking the long-term view of success, which is what I love about the enable process and the five moments of need, because that really is a long-term view. Yep. You know, train, transfer, sustain. You're spending your time going through that whole big process of helping improve performance, not just delivering a one-time event. And so if we start taking a long-term view of success, then you become a partner really quickly because you're a part of the team that's helping somebody get over a finish line of some sort. You know, I, lo I love that. And, and I, I love the reference to train, transfer, sustain. That in particular, you know, Khan would push us to working from, from sustain back. Even though we say train, transfer, sustain in that order, left to right, it really is. And I think the business cares about the sustainment part. That, that's, that's right. right? Yeah. That's the end game. So if we start with a conversation around a sustainment strategy and then work back into whatever or however amount of training needed, I think it, I loved your point about believing we belong there. I think that's an issue for L&D folks. I think there's a hesitation or a self-image or a courage, lack of the courage. But your point about not being afraid to earn that or get there by asking good questions. Yeah, so here, here's a mind shift for us because we talk about ROI, return on investment. Well, guess what? Do we see ourselves as a cost or do we mm. see ourselves as an investment? Brilliant. As soon as we start thinking about ourselves and what we provide as a business investment, then we become a partner Wow! because we're helping drive a return on that investment. And it changes our entire mind shift about how do we measure the impact of what we do. Really insightful. You know, it's funny because I was just speaking yesterday to a senior guy who's involved in some significant cutbacks right now mm -hmm. not just yeah. not just L&D but within the company right though all those tragic announcements being made and you can tell his first instinct is I'm getting cut yeah I, I I gotta I gotta back off my product and what you're saying is he should be in there going let me help you get through this right I can I can bring efficiencies I can cut back on the on the overhead of, of training with five moments and go workflow learning instead I can I can walk you through the business and cost analysis of that right yeah, absolutely. And I can help you become a more productive unit. I want to help each and every employee start becoming a more productive, engaged unit and free them up to really become, you know, the employees that they can be, which is what everybody wants yep. from management down through the employees. Everybody has that exact same objective in mind, including us. So when we get fearful about it, you know, we're fearful of results because we feel like we don't have any control over it. That's the baseline of our fear. When we're delivering a course, we really don't have any control over the outcome at the end of the day. We can deliver yeah. a brilliant course, and it doesn't mean that we've moved the needle one iota 
But if we're part of this overall team engagement and really working towards, you know, a strategic solution that takes us all the way through sustainment, then part of a team and we no longer really have to fear the results because we're not in this static environment. We're not done. Right. We can change things up if it's not working. Right. And we're in the workflow, right? We're in the business. Yeah, exactly. We're, you know, and, and the irony of this conversation, Inar, is that when times get tough, when God forbid 10,000 folks are laid off, which, you know, we're concerned about, those left behind have to be way more efficient, way more productive mm-hmm. than they've ever been before because we're, we're down head count. So it's all hands on deck. What a more important time than to be in there strategically, but, but from a performance perspective first. Because, yeah, if we come back with, well, should we gear up our classes again? If I'm in that in that situation and I'm on the other side of the table, I'm going to be like, <laughs> uh, no, we can't afford that right now. Right. That That's what's going to. Right. right? Wow. Well, that's exactly right. You know, the, the thing that that's so wonderful about the business world and our lives in general is we all seek improvement all the time. We're trying to make ourselves better. Businesses try to make themselves better. When we go through recessionary times like what we're going through right now, what we typically see is a fairly rapid rebound because everybody's starting to pull in the right direction. You may get a little bit leaner and a little bit meaner. It makes you a better business over the long run. Uh, So it's really not that surprising that the rebound happens because as a team, we start focusing on all of the right things. We may have to do it with fewer people, but guess what? Over the long term, that's really not unhealthy. Uh, Right. You know, again, L&D is at the forefront of that. I love that. We are in a unique position to change the needle. But to your point, we got to be on the right side of the ledge paper, right? (laughs) We (laughs) got to be on that investment side. So, hey, friends, so phenomenal conversation. So I'm out there listening and I'm thinking, boy, heard some new vernacular there's some new challenges and I'm, let's say I'm a leader, I'm in my more rank and file and I'm thinking, okay, so what competencies, role, you know, what are the new skills of what we're describing? What blind spots might I have that you recommend I think about? Wow, great question. Great question. I think in the role that comes to mind the most is becoming a performance consultant. I'm not saying go back to school and learn how to be that, <laughs> but we can fill that void because that's another piece that is often lacking at the table, right? Is somebody mm-hmm. who's focusing exclusively on performance. And so what does a performance consultant do? Well, they look for real solutions for improving performance first and foremost of the people in the organization. Mm-hmm. You know, real live solutions of how do they do that? They focus the results and identify the gaps that exist between the business objectives and performance. But it's always kind of surrounding that one word, performance. And then they study the design and the solution around the how and the what the business wants to accomplish. And this requires research and out-of-the-box thinking. For example, you know, if building a course is always the how, Mm. we're probably not exploring the options or I would argue really understanding the what. So it's critically important that we can explain what the business wants to accomplish, and then focusing on the performance objectives. And that allows us to, you know, that's a very simple outline of what a performance consultant does. If we can step into that role a little bit, I think that's exactly the skill that we need to bring to the table. Wow. So we've made reference a couple of times to five moments, right? Workflow learning. Let's kind yeah. of put a bow, yeah. kind of put a bow around on this and come back to it and run it specifically as a business person, Anar, that you've been and so on. 
Why do you find that five moments as a methodology or framework for flow learning as a discipline? Why is this aligned so well to this whole conversation we've had? Well, first of all, it, it aligns very well with driving change leadership and strategic engagement. You know, I think we, we, we make the point all the time that leaders are not there to maintain status quo. Right. They're there to drive change. Learning isn't there to maintain status quo. We're there to help drive change. Mm -hmm. And five moments of need takes care of all, it checks all the boxes when it comes both to change leadership and to change management. The reason for that is you're immediately closer to impact. In a classroom setting, you're trying to measure the impact in an event. With workflow learning, where you're really trying to help somebody learn while they are working, uh, which of course we go into that definition of workflow learning a lot, it has to mean that it, it, you don't have to stop work while you're learning. You know, at that point, you're measuring the impact of ongoing performance support. I mean, think about that. So building a workflow learning solution is never static. You're continually changing it. You're massaging it. You're maintaining it. You have good governance behind it. And so the solution continues to get better and better. But it also allows you to adapt to change as it comes because change happens so rapidly right now. Yeah. So by with that sustained learning effort, you're able to adapt to the changes as well as disseminate the information immediately with a good digital coach. And there's excellent technologies out there for this that address true workflow learning performance support. You know, technologies such as Ask Delphi, TTS, Penviva, they're often set aside in favor of repurposing existing software. But if you truly put together a five moments of need solution with the right software to create a digital coach, and again, we make the point, digital coach is not software. It's actually, <laughs> you know, it's a structure. Yep. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, you're delivering over a long period of time and you're continuing to adapt and maintain and update and, and measure the impact. So that's where five moments of need, that was a real long-winded answer, but that's where... It's brilliant. I think the five moments of need is really the only solution that's going to allow you to engage at that level. Well, it was powerful for me in our, as it touched on everything, right? It, we are in a recessionary period. We are coming out of COVID. We are, we are at a time of the most rapid, uncontrollable, and in many cases, unforeseen change I've ever experienced in yeah. my life. And L&D, before all of that, was always seen, frankly, as fairly rigid. And risk averse and, yep. and and highly structured and methodical and waterfall design and all this kind of stuff. None of that maps to the world we're in today. None of it. And so to be agile, to be adaptive, these are the words you used. We've run an agile instructional design for 10 years, and I don't think we've done it well till this thing came along. You know, and so it and, and but those are the words of the day in business, you know, yep. not just in, not just in learning. So friend, my gosh, just absolutely perfect. Let's send folks away with some deliverables, right? Some some next steps. If you were to give three things from all we've talked about, I, I always like the three things last question, right? Because sure. they've listened to a lot, they're processing a lot. What do I do when, it, when this ends in the next hour, week, month? Give me three things that these listeners should worry about or try to do when this podcast ends. First of all, I'd say be proactive reach out, start the conversation. If the business leader hasn't reached out to you, if you're part of that 47% that's not invited to the table, it doesn't mean <laughs> that the business leader doesn't want you there. They may just not be thinking about it or feeling like you're necessarily interested. So be proactive, reach out, start the conversation, and you might discover that they really appreciate and invite new perspectives. 
I know that's not always the case, but you'll find that that's the case more often than not, because we're all, like I said, we're all striving to become better at what we do, right? The second is prepare to listen. You know, again, seek first to understand and to be understood. I think putting on our listening skills, if if you're being proactive and, and trying to engage with somebody in the business line, start out by listening, because that's really how you start the engagement with anybody. People want to be heard, including business line managers, by the way. So start by listening and then review opportunities to define metrics that support the business needs. Don't be afraid of them. Don't step back and don't be afraid of missing the market uh, at first either. But that in and of itself, that exercise is going to help you understand business objectives. If you start focusing on the metrics that you need to drive to deliver the objective, guess what? You got to understand the objective to get there. So as you start trying to think through the, what that is, it's going to start clicking. You're going to start speaking that language. So I think those would be my top three things. Wow. You know, and, and it, you know, just coming back to your point as well of all the changes that are happening, you know, you and I, you know, we went to school where we had to write papers, even in college for crying out loud, you know, writing, <laughs> writing on lined pieces of paper with a pen. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of, of every home having a computer and having smartphones, I mean, that was so foreign to us even yeah. 30 years ago. Yep. <laughs> you know, the amount of change that we have seen and now with AI coming to the scene and becoming a better part of everyday life, we have to embrace that and see that as the next opportunity. Because guess what? AI is a great way to accomplish tactical things. Yeah. It's a great way to learn systems. But if we're going to maintain our value, what do we need to do? we need to become strategic. That's where AI isn't going to go next. It gives us an opportunity to step back, allow it to become part of the build, and we can focus on strategy. So if we really wanna stay relevant in this industry, we have to focus on becoming a part of that strategic value chain. Wow, so brilliant. that was actually four things. So anyway. Brilliant. No, it's, it's perfect. You know, as a dear friend of mine said, you know, we, we call ourselves learning professionals. L&D professionals, we don't often act like that last word, you know, or, or see yeah. ourselves as such, to your point earlier, right? I mean, a, a lawyer, a doctor's a professional, a lawyer's a professional. They view themselves as experts and strategists in those fields, and we sit back. We sit back. We're, we're afraid of the partnership sometimes in the business, and Anaris, I'm not at all surprised. Brilliant conversation. You're one of those rare learning leaders that has walked the walk in the business, um, sees the importance of both. And like my recent interview with Rob Lauber, I did a day or so ago live in LinkedIn, you know, successful because he gets it that in the end, if the business doesn't succeed, it's moot, right? Yeah. And so brilliant stuff, Andrew. Thanks so much for your time and your effort and your, and your wisdom. Really insightful stuff. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed this. Thanks. Take care, friends. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our five moments of need website, which is www.thenumber5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.